platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. United by a shared vision to foster stability and progress. The BRICS nations, including China and Russia, are working together to shape the course of international affairs. With a backdrop of deepening trade cooperation and a greater focus on local currency settlements, countries like China and Russia have made significant strides in the finance and trade fields, fostering stability and reliability in bilateral economic cooperation. Join us this week as we delve into China's promising market trends and explore the potential for economic growth and cooperation between China and Russia. Only on this talk. In 2024, Russia assumed the presidency of the developing nation's Black BRICS. Economic and financial cooperation are now among the key areas of cooperation among member countries. Efforts are being made to enhance the role of BRICS countries in international monetary and financial systems, developed interbank and financial cooperation, and expand the use of each other's currencies in bilateral trade. According to official Russian statistics, over the past two years, the share of the Chinese RMB used in export transactions in Russia has increased from 0.4% to 34.5%. We spoke with Russian Finance Minister Anton Solinov to get his perspectives on taking proactive measures for the future of Chinese-Russian relations and creating a favorable policy environment for bilateral trade and investment. Mr. Minister, thank you for accepting our interview. The first question is: With the continuous expansion of local currency settlements, 95% of bilateral trade between Russia and China is now settled in rubles and renminbi. What is your assessment of the role of this cooperative model in enhancing the stability and the reliability of economic cooperation? Indeed, trade between our two countries has continuously increased. Bilateral trade surpassed 200 billion U.S. dollars in November, meaning we completed the task assigned to us by the heads of state ahead of schedule. Amidst this rapid growth, many products from China have entered the Russian market. The primary responsibility of Russia's finance ministry is to protect this trade and to facilitate the settlement of payments. We have also observed that the proportion of trade settled in local currencies now exceeds 90%. Our two countries are extensively using their respective national financial messaging systems, and our banks are also developing a mechanism for agent accounts, ensuring smooth payment for these transactions. What proactive measures are China and Russia planning to take in the future to provide a favorable policy environment for bilateral trade and investment? In addition to what was mentioned earlier, I would like to emphasize the efforts we have made and the positive results that have been achieved through the collaborative work of both parties. 
our cooperation with Chinese partners on various international platforms, including the G20 and others, has been highly effective. Apart from the increase in trade volume, we have engaged in extensive cooperation in the financial sector, addressing practical and pressing issues. We have held productive dialogues with the Chinese Ministry of Finance, aiming to further explore these matters. Therefore, we attach great importance to this aspect of our work. We have also discussed how to further develop the financial systems between our two countries, including cooperation within international organizations and frameworks. This involves the development of jointly proposed development banks, the expansion of insurance and reinsurance operations within the BRICS framework, and the enhancement of settlement operations among our BRICS countries, among other issues. In which areas do the two countries do have untapped potential for cooperation in the future? Currently, Russia faces various restrictions, including those on some technologies and equipment that play a crucial role in economic development. Our primary task now is to ensure the advancement of our technology. Therefore, we have formulated a fiscal budget for the next three years, which includes a series of measures to aid the development of these technological fields. The ability to manufacture related equipment encompasses areas such as mechanical engineering, including the production of drones and aircraft, the automotive manufacturing industry, as well as electronic devices and other critical sectors. In these fields, we currently rely to a large extent on various components and technological aspects from Western countries. However, due to our collaboration with China, we have made some progress. In this new phase, our goal is to develop our own capabilities in producing these products, enhance our capacity and ensure the advancement of our technology. The Russian Ministry of Finance forecast suggests that economic and social development will be positive, with the GDP growth expected to range between 2.2% and 2.3%. Does this indicate that the Russian economy has undergone structural transformation and maintained stability? Indeed, the measures we have taken to address these new circumstances have yielded positive results. Firstly, we focused on ensuring the well-being of the people, supporting retirees and families with children. Additionally, this includes supporting our businesses as they are facing challenges to their traditional supply chains. Given the impact of the international trade environment, we are providing the necessary assistance to our businesses in this regard. As a result of these measures, Russia's economic growth reached 3.5% in 2023. Our plans for the coming years aim to ensure economic growth of around 2%. The government of the Russian Federation is very willing to increase the issuance of bonds, enhance the production capacity of businesses, create more job opportunities, raise wages and improve living standards, as the improvement of living standards also facilitates further financing.
What specific measures does Russia's budget policy include to support key indicators for national economic growth in the future? In recent years, one of our primary tasks has been to ensure our financial independence. Russian enterprises, banks and financial institutions are affected by Western policies. Therefore, we must ensure that our previously established plans are implemented. To achieve this, we must maintain a balanced fiscal policy. What does a balanced fiscal policy entail? It means that regardless of external factors and pressures, we must fulfill these tasks. Therefore, Russia's fiscal plan now aims to ensure the lowest fiscal deficit, meaning that in the future, the deficit should be kept below 1%. Furthermore, in the future, we aim to ensure that government revenue roughly equals government spending, except for interest-related income, which should be managed to cover expenses. This will help maintain fiscal balance and ensure the fulfillment of government department responsibilities. Looking ahead to 2024, what's the outlook for the global economy and also the Russia economy, and what are the key areas of folks likely to be? We have already mentioned that the current global economy is not showing the most optimistic trend. We are witnessing a trend towards deglobalization and various divisions in the financial and economic spheres. Some countries have imposed sanctions on Russia, but these sanctions are also affecting their own development. We have always supported economic globalization and have seen that under the backdrop of globalization, the global international economy has continued to maintain growing markets. However, if these current phenomena persist, we may predict that the economic performance of Western countries in 2023 will be lower than that of 2022 indicating that they have entered a very slow stage of development. If these restrictive policies continue, it will undoubtedly lead us into a dead end. Therefore, it is rational policies that will lead us to future development. This means that we must prioritize cooperation, as only through cooperation can we ensure the development of all countries. As a significant representative force of the Global South, the BRICS countries are gradually increasing their influence on the global economic governance. China is not only the largest economy among the BRICS countries, but it is also playing a more important role in enhancing the level of cross-border trade and investment facilitation. According to data from the People's Bank of China, Cross-border RMB payments reached 48 trillion yuan in the first 11 months of 2023, a 24% year-on-year increase. Of that, the proportion of RMB settlement in goods trade reached 25%, the highest level in recent years. We spoke with Professor Li Daokui, Director of the Academic Center for Chinese Economic Practice and Thinking at Tsinghua University to get his perspectives on how the Chinese economy is moving towards higher quality and more open development, supporting long-term global economic growth. Welcome to the show, Professor Li. Thank you very much for having me. 
As China's economy grows bigger, last year we have seen a lot of uh, significant events like the enlargement of the BRICS and the Belt and Road uh, Forum. And uh, we're seeing Chinese yuan is also playing a bigger role on, in global trade. Uh, how do you anticipate China's economic policies and international trade relations to adapt and shape the global economic order in the year beyond? China will continue to be a progressive force uh, in uh, stabilizing global trade and a step also progressive force in encouraging other countries to open up. Because China, uh, from its own experience of past 45 years of reform and opening up, uh, China knows very well that through opening up, uh, the, whole, the whole world will benefit not only Chinese economy, the rest of the uh, the world will also benefit. China, China is good, like a good student. Now it's turning to become a good teacher, telling everybody, let's stay open economically. Everyone will be uh, will be a, a, a beneficiary. Okay, so this is a this is a, a one line of uh, a one one reason for China being um, being progressive in opening mm. up. Uh, China, the Chinese economy is confident in, in that the Chinese economy will not will not lose in international competition. Some sectors for sure will move out out of the Chinese economy. However, moving out these sectors moving out leaves room for other sectors to emerge. So overall, overall China Chinese economy and the Chinese policymakers overall uh, are rather confident, confident, uh, believing in that opening up uh, of international trade will e essentially and, e and eventually benefit the Chinese economy itself. Because I know all economists are against the trade barriers. What is your take on this trend and what can China do? Well, the trend of uh, the trend towards more trade restrictions may continue in the world. Uh, however, I think there's a big good chance uh, that through regional agreements, regional agreements like China with Europe, China with ASEAN countries, China with um, with uh, BRIC, BRICS uh, countries, and with um, the Belt and Road countries, through all this, uh, I call uh, the spaghetti, spaghetti type of negotiations, right? Uh, China will become a force to stop the intensive, the intensifying process of um, uh, international trade restrictions. And as you mentioned earlier, China is moving up the value chain. As China continues to prioritize technological innovation, uh, what are the key areas do you see the most potential for growth and investment? Well, uh, to, in my mind, uh, there are two areas for China to, um, to, to pin hope on uh, for technological progress. Number one is energy, which is not super obvious, but, 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 but it is key. It is key. Mm -hmm. The whole world is uh, in a process of energy transition. The whole world, not China, not only China. That is the whole world is now moving towards green energy. And uh, green, by green energy, I mean uh, solar panels and uh, windmills. And the key to the transition from dirty energy to green energy or black energy to green energy is uh, storage energy storing, yes. the storing of uh, 
this uh, intermittent uh, uh, energy, right? And mm -hmm. China is now uh, at the at, at front, international front, frontier. It's a, it's a frontier country in designing, in 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 implementing uh, these technologies, the the green technology and their storage. So this is one area China will make a head start. The other area is um, what we call AI and application of AI and also communications technology. And this, uh, there are many, many examples uh, in, in this regard. Uh, with, with AI, um, the delivery job of uh, our express packages uh, will, be, um, will, will be changed. Today in China, you see many, many uh, young people busy uh, riding their electrical bikes, delivering, mm -hmm. delivering uh, packages. In five years, I believe that uh, many of the electrical bikes will be replaced by um, auto, auto tricycles, tricycles, electrical tricycles with three wheels uh, without any human pilot. And these tricycles will deliver packages to our buildings, to our uh, to stores, right? So that will be a huge labor-saving uh, uh, technology. How, you may ask, what will happen to the uh, to our expressmen, the young people who, who do express work? Okay, they will they will find new jobs in other areas. I, I mean, there are plenty for. I think the our human society usually are very good in finding ways to employ people. So I, I'm not uh, pessimistic. I believe uh, there will be new jobs created uh, for this express, uh, for these uh, young people, right? Uh, delivering packages. So that's the second area of technological progress, AI and, uh, and the communication technology and the auto driving, so on and so forth. Hmm, right. China has a massive market and there is always a possibility uh, to make a fortune. And uh, last year, uh, emerging markets are facing some significant pressure of capital outflow and that um, includes China. Uh, in your opinion, what is the uh, risk and reward profile for foreign investors who try to engage with China market this year? Well, um, uh, it is increasingly clear that the Chinese market proper or itself is already huge enough for international investors to stay in China. So in other words, they often call it a strategy called in China for China. Hmm. Uh, the leading example, of course, is automobile, the automobile market, right? All the major automobile makers uh, cannot afford to, to leave the uh, Chinese market. So they will stay in the Chinese market. They will find a way to increase their R&D, research and development activities, and tapping, uh, tapping the, the, the huge pool of engineering talents in China. So, that, so that's the area of opportunity for multinationals. Stay in China, uh, tap on, uh, tapping the, 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 the engineering and R&D capacity, and then use China as um, as a uh, as a basis for their global research and also for their uh, enhancing their technology. So that's the new that's new opportunities for multinationals. And we heard a lot about uh, the risking in the past year. How is China's evolving relationship with other major economies such as the U.S. and European Union influencing the investment outlook for multinational corporations and foreign investors? Chinese leaders have have, have been very work have been very busy 
uh, talking to uh, U.S. and European leaders, are uh, trying to um, to create initially uh, an agreement and later on some concrete policies to stabilize to stabilize uh, uh, their concerns uh, of, of China being a risk factor. Okay, mm. and also China will open up its own domestic market uh, further. Uh, for multinational companies, especially those from the U.S. and from Europe, Chinese automobile market, Chinese um, uh, power plant, uh, power plant, Chinese uh, factories, Chinese uh, uh, home appliance, so on and so forth. All these sectors will be increasingly open, and in many cases, will be completely open to uh, multinationals. And in the past decades. Uh, uh, to be frank, a Chinese government uh, was worried about multinationals being super competitive so that domestic firms will completely, completely lose out. Uh, but now, as I said, Chinese leaders and Chinese economy are becoming more confident. So the, the, the door of the Chinese economy will be more open and most sectors will be completely open in five years. Hmm. In five years, food sectors, maybe, maybe except for those defense sectors, will be completely open. Uh, there's no need for uh, protection for hmm. domestic uh, domestic firms. The World Bank is expecting 4.5 percent for 2024. What is your target for the economy if China can do the right thing? Well, I would say most realistically, the Chinese economy will be running at a pace of 5%, 2024, 5%. Now, why is that? Uh, Well, I think it's because um, the Central Economic Work Conference actually laid the ground for a very very, uh, uh, proactive policies in various areas, various forms in a property market, the physical policy, monetary policy, industrial policy, uh, so on and so forth. So 5% is the number I I count up, I, will, I forecast for 2024. Mm. And that gave us much needed confidence at this stage. And Professor Lee, let's talk a bit about global environment, which is uh, full of challenges this year. And in context of global supply chain dynamics, how is China adapting its manufacturing and trade strategies to navigate disruptions? Well, China has been adopting a two-fold policies, two-fold, two-hands policies. The first aspect of this policy is to try to work with the U.S. and the European governments to stabilize mm-hmm. to stabilize uh, the, the the potential economic uh, conflict. Uh, in other words, try to maintain the already uh, mature and ongoing uh, supply chain uh, between China and Europe and the U.S. So China has made uh, a lot of efforts, and China will continue making such efforts. The second aspect of China's trade policy is to try to um, um, de- re- re- uh, redeploy, re- encourage the re- the encourage the redeployment of China's supply chain to other countries and um, to, um, to to um, to hedge to hedge against the uh, U.S. European uh, policies. More, more specifically, uh, China's industries are being uh, gradually moving to 
to Vietnam and to Mexico and also other Southeast Asian countries. And mm. notice, not all not all production lines are out are moving out of China. It's only part of that. Part of Chinese supply chain is now being re redeployed, redeployed to uh, Mexico and to Vietnam as a way to side pass, to side pass, to, to hedge against the U.S. Uh, uh, trade uh, restrictions against mm -hmm. Chinese product. So notice again, it's part of that. So move part of production to these countries, Mexico and Vietnam, so that the, the, the products finally can be shipped to the U.S. market uh, without being labeled as being made in China. Hmm. Do you think there are room for more expansionary policies and how to prevent financial risks if the government tries to do that? In fact, I, I, I believe our government, the Chinese government, uh, should be uh, more proactive. In other words, the government is overly cautious, excessively cautious. Why is that? Uh, let me say this in a very simple language. The Chinese central government is the, by far, the richest, richest mm. uh, central government in the world, having lots of financial assets. For example, the central government in China, through the Ministry of, of Finance, holds uh, majority shares, uh, or significant shares, of um, the five largest commercial banks, which are among the most profitable commercial banks in the world. And these commercial banks have shares listed in the stock market. And also, our central government, through the Ministry of Finance, holds shares of the three super profitable mobile phone operators. And also, the central government holds shares of Petro China and, um, and uh, uh, Sinopec, these oil companies, and the Sino Construction, so on and so forth. The, the super, super profitable firms, most of them, most of them have uh, uh, their significant shares being held by the central government. Meanwhile, our central government, the Chinese central government, only holds uh, in the amount of 20% of GDP as central government debt. I propose our central government spend much more money, mm. issue, uh, have, have issued more debt issue much, much more debt. And also by issuing central government debt, the central government should take over uh, some of the local government debt in order to uh, uh, rejuvenize, rejuvenize the, 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 the public finance of local governments. So, mm. so, so my point is that my long answer boils down to one sentence. That is, our Chinese central government should be much more proactive. Thank you so much for your time today, Professor Lee. We appreciate your insights. And that's all for today's BizTalk. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. Find the Beijing Hour at precisely 6 p.m. Beijing time. We meet you on podcast and on air every weekday. 
Beijing Hour, your window on China and the rest of the world.